And welcome into the hard count. It is the day after the national championship, January 9th, 2024. We are live coming to you from Houston, Texas, in the media lounge. Uh, myself and Trey Anity slept, I don't know, somewhere around three, four hours last night. Bottom line, got to do a show. Got to make sure we're meeting up together after Michigan is your national champions. We were in Energy Stadium last night to see it all go down. It was a seam. I'll tell you what. The good folks that traveled, amazing blue faithful, they didn't want to leave that stadium. Like, I mean, they they would have slept there if they had been allowed to. I mean, it was you, you could tell it was euphoria in every sense of the word for those good folks. So one, we'll unpack the game. Two, what does the future hold? That's kind of the bittersweet part about championships. You you soak them in as long as you possibly can, but then at some point in time, you do kind of have to look over the horizon and see what's around the corner. And there's a lot of questions around Jim Harbaugh and J.J. McCarthy. And so I, I don't want to go too much doom and gloom and, you know, Jim Harbaugh leaving for the NFL and all that. We're just going to have a rational approach, have a rational conversation, all of us together here, and we'll talk about that. Hey, we're glad to have you all here, man. There's a lot to get into. We've had a tremendous season together, and uh, we, we got a lot to jump into here. Quinchon Judkins also announced last night under the cover of Michigan's National Championship that he is, in fact, headed to Columbus, Ohio. So that game... In Columbus, Ohio, next season, a little bit more intriguing. I mean, we'll see where both teams are at when we get to that point in time, but a little more intrigued there. Also, we got to do it. You know we got to do it. The way too early rankings for 2024, Jesse Simonton, for us here at On3, has his top 25. I want to go through these top 10, and I want us to unpack those rankings in the context of, okay, if we're looking at those teams' aspirations for a national championship, where do they stack up? Intriguing list. Very, very intriguing list. So we'll give you our thoughts there. Also, now that the season's ended, I think it's only right that we get together here and kind of do our uh, our report card, if you will, where we were right, where we were wrong, our hits and misses from the 2023 season. Like I just said, man, can't feel anything else but gratitude for y'all being dialed in this morning, for y'all rocking with us the entirety of the season. We'll, we'll, we'll do a thank you again at the end of the show, but just for, seriously, from us, to y'all allowing us to be here, allowing us to meet up multiple times a week and talk ball together. Truly, extremely, extremely grateful. So thank you for that. Let's get right to it, though, man. If you woke up a Michigan fan, you woke up a national champion. Hail to the victors on repeat in Houston, Texas. Final score from NRG Stadium was 34-13. to Now that final score, a little bit deceptive. Because Michigan, they, they put the throttle down. They found a way to pull away. But when you look at what this game was for Michigan, I thought it was a dogfight for the majority of that four-quarter stretch. And when you look at the style of play Michigan had last night, wasn't perfect. Wasn't the most efficient at times. You had some drops. You had the run game start out really hot and then kind of sputter. I mean, the, the secondary kind of traded blows back and forth at times with that Washington monster wide receiver group like you knew they would. But the feeling I had when I left NRG Stadium last night at 2 in the morning, Michigan played championship-style, championship-level football. And that can be distilled down to when it was time to win, they did what was required. And that sounds cliche because, quite honestly, it is a little bit cliche, but when, when I look at the style of game, like overall, Michigan stuck to their identity. And I know there's some thought around, well, in that Penn State game, they doubled down and only ran the football because that was all they could do. And, and I hear that, but like, let, let's, let's make sure we're 
all on the same page here. Michigan has been a run-the-football team all season long. That's who they are. That's their bread and butter. And when it came to crunch time, they doubled down on that. I mean, they, they ran for 300 yards as a team. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, respectively, both had 100 yards rushing. They had eight yards of carry as a team. Like, when it was time to win, they went to their fastball, and that fastball delivered in ultimate fashion. The other part of that, they were timely. Champions, when, it, when, it's, when it's that fourth quarter, when it's, when it's that last round, you need that knockout, that's where they show up in the big stage. And that's what Michigan did. Pass game, you know, it wasn't lights out last night, but it was, again, timely. J.J. McCarthy, those linebackers, they want to trigger and they want to try and stop the run because they're tired of having eight yards of carry ran on them. Colston Loveland over the seam, past the linebacker, J.J. McCarthy, throws a dart. That ultimately kind of was the, the dagger of a drive where Blake Quorum capped it off and got in the end zone. The edges in this game for Michigan, like we said in our preview, stayed the edges. Like this wasn't a situation where if you're Michigan, you could find yourself down by 10 points or 14 points and climb back into it. And it was never that case. Michigan controlled the entirety of the game by nature of how they ran the football and by nature of how that secondary freaking battled, man. And they were able to battle with the resources that they needed to have because that front four for Michigan, they got after Michael Penix Jr. Like there was a play there where Kenneth Grant sacks Michael Penix Jr. within his own 10-yard line. And my first thought was, well, were they tricky there? So immediately watching the press box, they had the, the TV broadcast going on above us. So I leaned my chair back and look at the play. There was nothing tricky. There was no stunts. There was no pressure from that second level. It was just Kenneth Grant saying, I'm a grown man as a college student. And bull rushes the offensive line of Washington that was the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line of Washington. Gets to Michael Penix Jr. Like The fact they were able to create pressure with four players with just their defensive line and allow that secondary to play honest on the back end and just battle. That was the key to success. That was the key to victory last night defensively for Michigan. Mikey Sanders still, the way he made tackles in the open field, clutch. Will Johnson getting the interception to start the second half, clutch. Timely, battled back and forth. And it wasn't without error. Like I just said, championship-level football is not perfect football. It wasn't without mistakes. Roma Dunze still kind of got his to a degree. I think he had north of 80-yard receiving, one of which being a 44-yard reception. Uh, Michigan was lucky to dodge a bullet at one point in time where Michael Penix Jr. just quite frankly missed a few throws, one that was a big one to Roma Dunze on fourth and seven that would have made things a little bit more interesting. But they were able to fight multiple styles, like we just said. When Washington sells out to stop the run, what does Michigan do? A little counterpunch. Colston Loveland, they got that crosser around to, to Roman Wilson where J.J. McCarthy just, I mean, absolutely drilled it in there and allowed him to catch and run like there was there was never any situation where Michigan was one ill-equipped to play the kind of game against Washington and two we said it all week long like they were as prepared I think from an emotional and from a competitive standpoint as you could possibly be and I don't just mean from the scheme because that was definitely in place too when you look at the the way that Michigan hadn't played well in some of their previous playoff spots the Georgia game, I mean, Georgia was Georgia that year and, you know, just kind of had had that season in the bag, if we're going to be real. Like, that was a generational defense. Look at the TCU game. I felt like Michigan got outside of themselves. I felt like Michigan kind of got a little bit too finesse when, if you're a Michigan fan, you would have liked to see them be a little bit more pound the rock. I never saw them get outside of themselves. And we talked to J.J. McCarthy at Media Day, and he told us, man, like, experience is the greatest edge you can have as a competitor. 
And that showed itself in this game. Pre-game, man, we were down there on the field. They were loose. They were loose. They were confident. They had the headphones on. You saw dudes dancing. Saw dudes having a good time. Like, you, you would have never known if you had just been dropped into that situation. That was a national title kind of game for Michigan by nature of how loose they were in the pregame. And it wasn't, obviously, by nature of the results, a lack of focus loose or a ignorant to the stakes kind of loose. It was a, we trust our preparation. We've been here before. We're not guessing about anything we've done at this point in the season. Like, we feel good about our, our chances here. We feel good about our preparation going forward. So, overall for Michigan, like I said, if you woke up in Ann Arbor, Michigan today, you were a national champion, and you should feel like there is zero asterisk next to what you've done. And I, I, mean, I feel like we got to say this every single time with Michigan because I just understand we're going to get folks that have something to say about Connor Stallions, about Cheeseburger Gate, about, oh, well, that win will be vacated at some point in time. Like, one, I'd be wildly surprised if it was. Two, we all saw what happened on the field. We all saw what happened when you went 11 on 11, grown man on grown man in between that 53.3, 100-yard field. Like, that was, that was what you got. Like, the eye and the sky don't lie. And so, let's just say absolute worst-case scenario somehow becomes reality somewhere down the line. Again, I'd be surprised if that were the case. But let's just say that somehow, some way down the line, there's a, a conversation to legitimacy of this season for Michigan and the NCAA does what the NCAA does and all that. But like at the end of the day, what happened on that field will live forever. What our eyeballs saw that domination last night from Michigan in that fourth quarter, that will live forever. The way they beat Ohio state, then beat Alabama, that will live forever. So as far as I'm concerned, keep your asterisk, Michigan's national champions held to the victors again. I'm sure just on repeat today for a lot of the good folks across the country, repping the maize and blue. And for us, man, I would say crank that up. Turn that thing all the way up. Now, speaking of hail to the victors, man, uh, it was a good night for us on prize picks. Okay, like we, we had been cold the entirety of November. Rolling into December, we're kind of limping. And we issued a, a statement and just said, hey, listen, if you want to trust the trend, I would say fade us. But if you want to hunker down, get in this foxhole with us and lock arms, Let's ride. Burn the boats, baby. And that was exactly what we did. So kind of give you a quick recap here. Uh, one, redeem code JD for 100% deposit match up to $100 via prize picks. A lot of fun. If, if you didn't have a, a dog in the fight last night, and you just kind of rode with some different squares that we had out there, probably enhanced the viewing experience just a little bit. But to recap it for you here, when it came to our play last night, we had a flex play. And a flex play essentially means you don't need every single square to hit to get some return on investment there. And we had Roma Dunze for half receiving touchdown. That did not hit Jack Westover. His number was more than two and a half receptions. Uh, that was his number. We took the more there. He had five, so that clearly hit. Cornelius Johnson, this is interesting here. His number was three receptions. We took the less. He had three receptions. So what Price picks us, they say, okay, we're just going to throw that square out of there then. They just act as if that square did not exist. Donovan Edwards, we took him for less than 16 and a half receiving yards. He had none, so that hit Blake Corum, 111 receiving and rushing yards, 111 and a half, rather. That felt like theft. We felt great about that one all the way through. That did, in fact, hit. Then Jalen McMillan, he had a number for five receptions on the night. We took the less there foolishly. He had six. They fed him early and often. We felt bad about that one from the jump. But as a whole... If you rode with us here, again, the beautiful part about prize picks is you don't need to hit every single square. So if you put down $100, you made 40 bucks. 
So to, to be clear, you did not lose that one hundred dollars. I had some people DMing me and saying, "Well, hey, I, I put down this much money and I got less than what I put down. I lost that money, right?" No, no, no. You made the money that PrizePix is showing you. You won that amount and you keep your entry. So all that's to say, big shouts to PrizePix all season long, been supporting the show and allowing us to do awesome stuff like where we are right now and be in Houston, Texas for the national title game. So appreciate y'all that have redeemed code JD again, a hundred percent deposit match up to a hundred bucks lock in. We appreciate y'all that have rode with us all year long. And even if you faded us all year long, we appreciate you too. And you probably made yourself some good money throughout the course of college football season. So roll party roll there. All right. We said this as well, man, when it comes to, when it comes to what, uh, what you feel like the day after the national championship, a lot of emotions. If your team won, you probably feel an immense amount of joy and probably immense amount of relief. And you probably feel an immense amount of gratitude. Like overall, there's probably a, a lot of a lot of good vibes. But there's also probably the reality that when it comes to the day after, there's there's that empty feeling of man, well, we gotta wait a long time until we get to see these teams play again, until we get college football back in our TV. So that that hurts transparently. But the other thought here is what does the future hold? Like once the dust settles on this thing and that trophy is back in its rightful place for the folks in Ann Arbor and how they feel about that capturing their first national title since the, the 1990s. This is an outright championship, by the way. Um, what's next for, for Michigan? And I think a lot of people are asking the question around what's next for Michigan in, in regards to Jim Harbaugh and J.J. McCarthy. And I just want to make sure we're very clear about this. The formula that Michigan had this past season it will work again next year. I understand the playoffs expanding, conference realignment, the tectonic plates, they're shifting. The Big Ten's going to switch up a little bit with Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA. What Michigan did this year will translate to next year's style of play, especially if you get J.J. McCarthy and or Jim Harbaugh back because they're kind of at a crossroads right now because for both those guys, you have to imagine the inevitable feeling they have this morning is job's finished. Because how often do we hear that same thing being said throughout the course of the last two years for Michigan? Hey, job's not finished. We're happy with this win. Job's not finished. Heard that after the win in Columbus last year. Heard that after the Rose Bowl win this year. Like, job's now finished. They're on the top of college football. There is nothing left to be said about what Michigan has done this season. Mic drop. So if, if you're either one of those guys, you feel like you've checked your final box at a place like Michigan. So the vibes for both these guys, for Jim Harbaugh and J.J. McCarthy, I think across the board here going into this game was if they win, they're probably on to what's next. And what's next for both these guys would be the NFL. Like for Jim Harbaugh, you just can't help but feel like the NCAA is going to make it tough. Now what that looks like, we're completely speculating and guessing going forward, but you have to imagine they're, they're going to make it tough on Jim Harbaugh. And there's also a lot of jobs available for him. Like we see it in the NFL, man, there's no shortage of options for where he could land next. And you also say this for him, like he's a competitor. Competitors want to win the ultimate prize. And Jim Harbaugh has now conquered college football. Who could blame him if he wants to go try and win a Super Bowl? He was a play away from doing that against his brother not that long ago. Like who could blame him if he wants to chase what all competitors chase, which, which is that next thing, which is that next challenge, because he's conquered this one. So the vibes would make sense there. Now for J.J. McCarthy, kind of the same thing. Where there's smoke, there's fire. A lot of people that study the NFL, that are NFL draft gurus, they put J.J. McCarthy in that first-round category. I've seen people talk about him being a top-10 guy. If that's, if that's your stock, brother, like, 
who are we to say don't go to the NFL? Who are we to say don't go make millions of dollars and, and achieve your dream of being a first-round NFL draft pick and being an NFL quarterback? Like, you know what I'm saying? So there's that, and there's also the, the job's finished feeling for him as well. Like, he was a guy that seemed to take it extremely personal when Michigan lost last year against TCU. He was out on the field watching celebration as the confetti fell. He took the press conference last year uh, post-game against TCU and said, I promise you we will be back here. Like, th th this was a mission for him, and now they've accomplished that mission. So that's the way it feels. And again, if they both go to the NFL, I don't think anybody in, in, in Ann Arbor would fault either one of them by nature of what they brought back there. But my opinion on this thing, which is not a prediction, my opinion for both these guys is why not both come back? Why, why not both come back? And I understand we just walked through why it would make sense. And I am not predicting what they're going to do. But if you walk this thing out, man, for Jim Harbaugh, his value as an NFL head coach, I don't think it's going anywhere. Like, I, I don't think if Michigan wins eight games next year and the sky falls on what they did this past season, I can't imagine the NFL views him any differently. His track record as a head coach speaks for itself. Like, his his sample size he's provided for NFL GMs going forward now, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything you have to say negative about him as an NFL head coach prospect. I think his stock is pretty stable. Is there a job in the NFL today that you – 1,000% feel is better than your situation at Michigan, your alma mater, you just brought a national title back to, and you would have to think next year will at least be in contention, bring another one back home, go back to back, like, has to be a little bit attractive. So my point here being, if there's not a better job than Michigan for you in the NFL right now, and you know that you're going to have probably a conversation the year after this year and the year after that, and you're always going to have an NFL prospect. Why not come back for another season? Why not give it one more go? And I said this too before, I have zero doubts he could be a successful NFL head coach. Zero doubts. One, we've seen him do it. Two, I think the way that he is able to build rosters and the way that he's able to have a formula that's proven from different levels of football from the FCS level with University of San Diego, then to the 49ers, like I, his process works. That's true. But I would also say as a, as a coach, just his style, he works great in college football. And, and I said this on a previous live show, we were in Nashville before uh, leading up to this game. Like he's a weird dude. And I say that in the most endearing way possible. Jim Harbaugh is a little bit weird, but he's our weird when it comes to college football. And I think he works with college kids in the sense that, He's got some skins on the wall, and now he's got a national championship on the wall. And kids respond to his quirkiness. Like, kids respond to the fact that he's talking about chicken being a nervous bird and talking about steak and milk being a vitamin he takes every day and climbing trees in the backyards of recruits. And he's, you know, taking the team to spring practice or taking the team to, to Italy for spring practice. Like, that's how he gets down. That's, that's how he rolls. And, and the, the kids at Michigan, the, the college kids, they respond to that, and they love that. I don't know how that plays in the NFL when you have players that make more money than you as a head coach, but I'm just saying it works in college. It works in college, and if you're, if you're looking to continue to stay happy at the collegiate ranks, I think that makes sense for Jim Harbaugh. Now, for J.J. McCarthy, I think this conversation is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, we see the room for him to elevate. 
And when I say that out loud, it sounds like I'm saying negative things about J.J. McCarthy. I promise you I'm not. I told you NFL draft people, if they think he's a first-round guy and that's the grade he gets back, great. He'll be an NFL quarterback and have a lot of success there. But we saw last night, 10 for 18, probably could have had a better stat line if his receivers had come down with a few. But, but you saw the room for growth. And I think we've seen for J.J. McCarthy, too. This year was better than last year for him. Next year, whether Jim Harbaugh is there or not, Sharon Moore is going to call the offense, right? Barring something wildly unforeseen, he will have the same offensive coordinator. What does that mean for us? Continuity if we're J.J. McCarthy. Another chance to take another evolution, get even better, and embrace that and go into another class next year, which I think is wide open in terms of who could be QB1. Probably Quinn Ewers, assuming he's coming back. Probably Carson Beck in the mix there. Probably should wear Sanders, but like, is there one guy definitively we're saying today he's the number one guy? Is there a Caleb Williams equivalent to this draft class next year? Because right now I see Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, Sam Hartman, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. all in that quarterback, you know, top five that, that probably there's a conversation to be had of who who's ahead of J.J. McCarthy and where does J.J. McCarthy stack up in that order? So I'm just saying less crowded draft class have a chance to go win another national title, have a chance to elevate your draft stock even more. Like, it would make sense to me. How much better is his draft stock next year if he takes another evolution in his maturation process, gets even better, and they go back-to-back? -back. Have to imagine that would benefit him when it comes to the NFL prospects. So what does the future hold for Michigan? I don't know. I understand the last dance vibes. We felt that all week long. We heard that all week long. But at the same time, man, in my opinion – it would make sense for both to come back. So we'll see what happens there. Not a prediction, but it's what makes sense. So we'll get to our predictions here a little bit later and where we were wrong, where we were right, and that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, let's kind of stay on this uh, future thinking train of thought because as soon as that confetti drops, man, this is, this is kind of like the, the favorite talking points on the day after the national championship game. That, and that is the way too early rankings, way too early national championship contenders. And we're going to attack that a little bit. Jesse Simonton from On3 has an awesome article out already on On3.com and released his top 25. I want to just walk through this top 10 with us together. So the top 10 is as follows, according to Jesse Simonton. You got Georgia at one, Texas at two. You got Alabama at three, Oregon at four, Ohio State at five. Now, notice Michigan outside the top five at number six. I'm assuming that is factoring in some variation of J.J. McCarthy and or Jim Harbaugh not being there next year. My assumption, but again, you have to read for yourself to get more intel on this from Jesse Simonton. Ole Miss at 7, Notre Dame at 8, Penn State at 9, Missouri at 10. That's the top 10. The whole top 25 is on 3.com, so go check that out. The caveat here also is the transfer portal dust has not totally settled just yet. I look at this top 10, though, man. I think 1 through 7 have a real chance at a national championship in a 12 team playoff, which remember next year, not only is it going to be a tournament style in, in a more true sense of the word, rather than just a semifinal than a, than a final, but also you're going to have more margin for error for these teams when it comes to the regular season, not a fan of it, but it's the world we're living in. So we'll roll with it. Georgia at one man. I firmly believe they're probably also my number one. I think Jesse knocks that out of the park. They are, they are in chase mode, man. They're in chase mode. And we said it during the season. I think it's true for them in the postseason or in the offseason, rather, now and when it comes to next year's postseason. 
when they have the ammunition, the edge that they require to, you know, kind of have the us against the world feel. Like we saw, I think it was Nolan Smith at the end of last year's national title game saying, well, y'all thought we'd go seven and five. Y'all thought we would go, you know, eight and four, whatever it was. Whether that's true or not, they believed it. And so now with the fact that they are not on top of the mountain, the SEC, the fact that they didn't even make the college football playoff last year, I think there's a real hunger for them to get back on top. And Kirby Smart is as good a coach as there is in college football when it comes to defining the mission for his football team and getting them into chase mode, getting them into hungry dog kind of mode. And that roster, man, it, I mean, it's, it's stacked yet again. Carson Beck, I firmly believe, has a chance to be the best quarterback in America next year. Trevor Etienne transfers over from Florida. I mean, they made other key acquisitions in the portal, including Colby Young. Like, the roster is always going to be creme de la creme at Georgia. You're going to have what you need to get in the building. An extra edge now could make them extremely dangerous when it comes to that national title race. I think they're number one. Texas at two. The hype is no longer just the hype for Texas. They made the college football playoff this year, y'all. They leave for the SEC, but just what we said now. In a 12-team playoff, you're going to see these teams with two losses find their way into the dance, even if they're not in there as a top-four seat. I'm not I'm not predicting Texas has two losses, but I think how much more dangerous does that make the Longhorns in 2024? Also, if Quinn Ewers comes back, which at this point in time, we are assuming he will be back, what happens if he takes another step? What happens if he gets even better from this past season and even becomes a more elite quarterback than he was? And again, he was a college football playoff caliber quarterback this past season. The key weapons and some of the key parts of the defense you're going to have to replace. So that's going to be obviously a little bit of a of a task. But I, I think Steve Sarkeesian and the culture he has in place at this point in time is a little bit more solid than it has been in, in the past years. And I think last year was kind of evidence of that. Like we've seen now, this is a new Texas. Like they have done the work, laid the foundation, put it all together to earn the right to have the hype they've had. Like it's not just the burnt orange Kool-Aid that people are serving up year in and year out. Like this is a Texas team that I think now has all the the accolades from this past season and all the expectation with Steve Sarkeesian there that is warranted. So Texas at two, extremely fair. Bama at three. I don't disagree with where you have them at if you have them in the top three. But my question is can Jalen Milrow get you over the top? And I don't mean can he be a guy that gets you to win the SEC. I don't mean can he be a guy that gets you to the college football playoff because we already know that. We've already seen that. He is good enough. Period. Mike drop the end. Men lie, women lie, tape don't lie. And he is good enough. My question, though, are they going to be multiple enough to win a national title? I don't know that to be true or untrue, but that's my question because whether it was a Jayla Milrow thing or whether it was a weapons thing, in that game against Michigan where they needed to pick up something on third and seven plus, throwing the football, you were hoping, not expecting. That can't be a, a formula for you. Michigan last night, they had that extra gear offensively to make Washington pay when they tried to stack the box. I'm curious if Alabama will have that next year. I think it's important. Now, Oregon, I expect them to pick up where they left off to a degree offensively with Dylan Gabriel playing quarterback for them. You lose someone in Bo Nix who's extremely experienced, plug and play someone who's also extremely experienced. I just think Dylan Gabriel's left-handed Bo Nix, and I think that Dan Lanning and company have a line of scrimmage built to compete right now in the Big Ten. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. I definitely think they're a national title contender. Ohio State, man, the roster is overall good enough. They are in the building. Here's the, the crazy thing about Ohio State this upcoming season. The sense of urgency in Columbus, I think, will be greater than we've seen in, in recent history for the Buckeyes. 
because now they've lost to Michigan another year in a row. They just saw Michigan win a national title last night. Don't think that lights a fire under the folks in Columbus? You don't think that maybe provides even more of a, of a sense of urgency for Ryan Day and company? Went and got Will Howard, so that should tell you enough about the sense of urgency they have. Uh, went and got Quinshawn Judkins last night via the portal. We'll talk more about the acquisition here in just a little bit. But Ohio State, like again, just the sense of urgency there I think is is wild. It's, it's kind of that unquantifiable factor, if you will, for them when it comes to the, uh, the 2024 campaign. Pressure can burst pipes or it can make diamonds. For Michigan last night, it made diamonds. And I think if you have J.J. McCarthy back next year, I think they're a top five team. I really do. And if they have Jim Harbaugh back next year, they're a top three team. Now, they do have some guys to replace, but they've had a lot of guys come back. Mason Graham's coming back. Um, I mean, you're, you're going to have a fair amount of the offensive line, I think, that, that could, be, could end up coming back. Um, a lot of pieces next season. I mean, Will Johnson, I expect to be back. So, all that's to say, Michigan, I think they'll have the roster and the structure still. Kenneth Grant coming back. The roster and structure still to repeat if they want to. Because the style they played last night, the style they played all season long, being able to hurt you through the air, being able to run the football, like they're multiple now. They can fight multiple styles. And I don't see that going anywhere. The, the, the championship culture they have as well internally, the confidence they have now to go with that culture. They've got the formula. They just got to recreate it now in a 12-team playoff. So Michigan at six, no problem with that. But if J.J. McCarthy and Jim Harbaugh is back, they're probably top five, top three. Now, outside of the uh, the top six, I think Ole Miss is, is fascinating. We've talked about them for a while on this show, man. The portal moves they have made from Juice Wells to Walter Nolan to Princely Umanmi Ellens, Tyler Barron, they have been cooking. And I understand they lost Quinshawn Judkins. I understand that. When you look at the way they're built on the defensive line, I think they now have a seat at the at – the, uh, SEC title contenders table. And that will get you a buy in the college football playoff. So do they do it or not? We'll end up seeing, but I, I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Uh, Ole Miss is no longer like one of those fringe SEC title contenders. I think they're going to be right there in the mix next year. When you talk about the margin for error that they have in this 12-team playoff too, they can lose two games and still probably find their way in. So they're going to be a force. Notre Dame, I can't, I, I can't, Totally tell how I feel about them. I love what Marcus Freeman's doing there. They're at eight in Jesse Simonton's way too early top 10. I'm still waiting to see on Riley Leonard. I love Mike Denbrock. I'm, I'm waiting to see on Notre Dame. If Riley Leonard can pick up any sort of variation of what Jaden Daniels did in that Mike Denbrock offense, they're going to be in good shape. So they're fascinating. Probably a top 10 team. Penn State at nine, man. They have a very clear governor that keeps them from beating Ohio State and keeps them from beating Michigan. Now, the good news for Penn State, they don't have to be either of those teams more than likely to have a conversation of being in that top 12, but they have to find a way to be explosive offensively. You add Julian Fleming through the portal. That's massive. You hope he's a true wide receiver one for you. He was the number one wide receiver in the class of 2020. They have to have something to offset Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Drew Aller can sling the pill around. I don't doubt that, but they got to get somebody to stretch the field for them to make them more multiple. So we'll see what happens there. The defense should be strong yet again, but I'm curious to see how they look with some transitions at the coordinator position too. Uh, Missouri at 10. I think they're probably a top 10 team going the next year. I expect Brady Cook to be back. Brady let him cook. But like I I'm curious how much of this past year was 
some magic they captured because the roster was great. Don't get it twisted, but Cody Schrader was phenomenal. Um, they had some close games that I don't know they really should have been in that the Florida game comes to mind where they had to convert a long fourth down to find a way to keep it rolling. But overall, I think Missouri's going to be a top 15 team, probably top 10 team to start the year. How they trend is going to be fascinating because, again, it just felt like they caught some magic. They were a hot team this year and ended up finishing strong and and being being a team that earned everything they got. Don't, don't get it twisted. I love the fact they locked down Eli Drinkwitz. I wouldn't want to see Missouri in a 12-team playoff this year, but I'm curious to see how much of that carries over the 2024 season. So let me know how you feel about this top 10 here heading into next season. It's going to be a lot of fun to take a look at that 12-team model, that 12-team playoff, and y'all, when it gets here, it's going to be chaos. It'll kind of take a second for us to recalibrate our brains when it comes to the college football world, but we're here. A new era of college football has arrived as soon as triple zeros hit last night in the NRG Stadium. Now notice, under the cover of Michigan winning a national championship, you had Quinshawn Judkins from Ole Miss via the transfer portal. Very, uh, I guess quietly is probably the right word because you commit during a national title game to Ohio State. What does it mean for Ohio State? What does it mean for Quinshawn Judkins? We'll talk about all that here in a second. But first things first, y'all, make sure you subscribe to the On3 YouTube channel. We're talking college football every single day. We had a national title game last night. We saw a lot of y'all on the field last night at Energy Stadium. And we're here this morning doing a live show. We're going to do a live show again tomorrow morning. And well, guess what? Next week, we'll do more live shows. And after and in between all those, we'll have content for you. So bottom line, college football doesn't stop. This show doesn't either. Make sure you're locked in so you don't miss a minute of it. We appreciate y'all so much in advance for that. Now, for Quinshawn Judkins, man, his transfer to Ohio State, he cited that he chose the Buckeyes because he could help this team win national championships. I'm assuming is what he's saying by deciding he can help this team win championships and continue his development. Now, there's also, I think, a lot of feeling around Quinshawn Judkins and his transfer to Ohio State that there's some NIL factors baked in. Now, I'm not here to comment on that or not, but what I will say is Quinshawn Judkins is happy, okay? He's, he's happy with this pivot. He's happy to be where he's at. Good situation for him. Happy people get better results, kind of just the way that this thing works. So for Quinshawn Judkins, he's happy. The real thing that I want to look at here is how this impacts Ohio State because with the addition of Quinshawn Judkins, you add depth at a position that I think you really needed depth at this past season. We saw Mayan Williams get dinged up, saw or, or get hurt, rather, uh, Trevion Henderson be dinged up. And when you look at what their goal is, just in the intermediate, or in the, in the immediate future, is beat Michigan. Michigan was deep at running back. Three deep at running back, to be specific. And we saw that play a big factor last night with two cats go over 100 yards. Adding in Quinshawn Judkins, regardless of what the rest of that running back decides to do, or what the rest of that running back room decides to do, you have a guy who adds to that toughness brand, and I think adds depth to that position. Um, also, he's a proven commodity, y'all. Like Quinchon Judkins, what he did in the SEC, averaged almost eight yards a carry throughout his two years in the SEC. He's not playing against Krups. He's playing against NFL Junior. That's, that's a real deal big boy football in the trenches. It'll be the same in the Big Ten, but this is not some guy who, you know, has sort of done some good things at the G5 level and has just feasted on lesser competition. No, no, no. This is a dude. And the thing that I love about him, man, when it comes to how he fits at Ohio State's offense, he's a north and south runner. Like, yes, he can make you miss. Yes, he's got good speed, but he's going to get downhill 
quick, fast, in a hurry. I think that fits perfectly with what they want to do in the Big Ten. Over 1,000 yards each of his two seasons in the SEC. Um, over 30 touchdowns in the last two seasons combined in the SEC. Dude's a baller, period. Mike dropped the end. Now, what it says about Ohio State, I think a large part it just says they're not going to be stagnant. And the sense of urgency, we talked about it already during this live show. They can't afford to be stagnant. The team that you hate with every fiber of your being, the team that you think about 365 days a year, the team that your, your mood is determined by, just won a national title last year, or, or last night, rather. And you've lost to the last few years. You've got to adjust. You've got to find some way to up the ante and get get back into the winning column in that in that game. So adding talent like a Quinchon Judkins, adding quarterback talent like a Will Howard, to me is Ryan Day saying we are not just going to let this thing bake. We're not going to sit back and see how our roster develops and see how the guys that we brought in are, are going to fare. Like There's no risking for, for Ryan Day here. Now, obviously, there's a fair amount of risk baked in whenever you take a transfer portal guy, but like I'm, I'm just saying the way that they are attacking the portal and attacking the talent side of things, I think should be encouraging for the folks at Ohio State. And one more thing I'd say about Ryan Day, too, all the jokes made about him being born on third base and all the things said about him not beating Michigan, to some degree, I get it. Like, I, I do understand where you're coming from, but let's also make sure we say this Ryan Day hasn't sat back and just let what Urban Meyer did there be the kind of football team he puts on the field. And what I mean by that is they totally changed their philosophy this past year. They were a defensive-led football team. They allowed, I believe it was 10 points a game this season. The way that they revitalized that side of the football, I think speaks volumes to what Ryan Day has done there since he's been there. Because, I mean, his thumbprint is all over that team. And it wasn't good enough, and the standards are enormously high in Columbus, so good enough is, is a difficult bar to, to set over there. It's different than anywhere else in the country. But I just want to make sure we address the fact that Ryan Day isn't sitting back and accepting the results, accepting what's happened with Mission. He is scratching and clawing and fighting to get Ohio State back to where the good folks in Columbus think they deserve to be, which is where Michigan was last night, hoisting that national title trophy, Big Ten champs, and they beat their rival, which was Ohio State. So I think Quinshawn Judkins, a massive impact from the, the toughness side of things, from the depth side of things, the schematic side of things. But again, I think it's Ryan Day continuing to say, listen, we're not settling. We're not just going to let this thing come to us. So big pickup last night for the folks in Columbus. And uh, very convenient it happened during Michigan's national championship game slash celebration. That was when I saw it was when the whole thing hit triple zero. So that's Quinshawn Dredkins to Ohio State. Hey, for everyone tuned in live, two favors. One, like the video, little thumbs up icon under the picture. Two, subscribe to the channel. Again, we have content all year long on only college football. So we appreciate y'all being locked in and uh, for being a part of this. Now, for those of y'all that have been locked in and been a part of this, you know we don't shy away from stepping into that batter's box. We call our shot. We call our shot fairly often on this show. We had Prediction Tuesday throughout the course of this season. We had our predictions preseason. Heck, we had predictions midseason meaning we took our predictions from the preseason, recalibrated them, and gave you new predictions. And I think it's time that we kind of face the music here. So I want to go through our uh, our hits and misses, if you will, from the 2023 campaign for us here on the Heart Count. There's a fair share of both, so I want to make sure we, we unpack them accordingly. Uh, the first miss, and this might honestly be a thing where we do uh, several volumes of this, depending on how y'all respond to this. Uh, our first miss, uh, 
Washington. That, that, that is the miss. Washington was a miss for us pretty much the entirety of the season. Hand up. That's on us. We don't run away from that. That is 1,000% the way that this thing went down if you're, if you're Washington. Uh, we picked them right in one game this season. One game. That was the USC game. And then we tried to kind of recalibrate our logic and tried to sort of fade ourselves, if you will, when it comes to Washington and picked them to win the national championship game. And we were wrong about that too. So they defied logic all year long with not having the advantage on the line of scrimmage on paper and, and not having you know the more multiple ways to win on paper. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter because they won. It felt like all their games in, in a close fashion. They, they won eight games by one score and deserve to be in that game last night. But for us, 1,000%, a miss for us throughout the course of this season was Washington. Hand up. That's on us. Very big miss. Now, a hit for us this year, one that I feel like we really knocked out of the park was Oklahoma. Because going into the season, we talked about it a lot. The, the, the punchline culture for Brent Venables, not a head coach. Oklahoma, man, they're on, they're on the downswing going to the SEC. Oh, boy, going to be a long few years in Norman. Those one-score losses they had from 2022, we knew they weren't going to hold. We went so far as to say we took the over on their nine-and-a-half win total, and Oklahoma won 10 games this year. So we feel good about where they're headed going forward. The Jackson-Arnold era got off to a rocky start in their bowl game. Listen, the talented cat, he's a five-star cat for a reason out of high school. He's going to be just fine. I think Oklahoma, will it be immediate success in the SEC? We'll see what happens there, but they're not going to be an operation that's just severely outmatched when they get to that conference. And I think by nature of their jump from 2022 to 2023 should tell us a lot about the way that they're trending and the way that Brent Venables has got that thing trending in the near future. Also, they're recruiting well, brought in a stacked defensive line class to the good folks in Norman, so a lot to be excited about. Oklahoma, we never bought the smoke on the six and seven year and the punchline culture and all this and all that. We felt good about them. That's a hit for us. Uh, the 10 wins for them, I think, proves that point. Now, a miss for us. Let's go back to the Pac-12, and I guess the new Big Ten is probably the right way to say that. A miss for us was USC. Because, y'all, to be honest, I thought USC would be what Washington was this year in the sense that, yeah, the, the defense isn't incredible. It's obvious there's some issues there. But what they have offensively is going to override their deficiencies on the other side of the football, and that just was not the case. And to me, like, my takeaway is when people show you who they are, when defenses show you who they are, you believe them the first time. And we did not believe what USC was showing us. We thought, okay, they went to the portal. They're going to be better on that side of the football. Bear Alexander, um, uh, Anthony Lucas, like, they're going to be improved on that side of the ball, right? No. We had them as a playoff team. They won seven games. Miller Moss came in and lit up in the bowl game. That was great. But, like, at the end of the day, we missed on USC. No other way around it. We missed on USC. That's on us. Our bad. Uh, a hit, though, for us this year, getting back on the right side of things, the arrival of Texas. Every single offseason, I guess up to this offseason, and probably this future offseason, there's going to be folks that have opinions on Texas because it's a massive brand, and it's always going to be a talking point in the college football landscape. There's always this thought that, well, Texas, they're, they're overrated. What have they really done? And that was probably... That was fair to a degree because you had the five and seven year. Then you had the eight win year from Texas going into year three for Steve Sarkeesian. And we thought Texas would be a double digit win football team. We took them to win the big 12. 
Now, we didn't have them in the playoff, but I still feel like there was always this thought around, well, Texas, are they back? Are they not back? Like, that was always, we think, the wrong lens to view Texas through. Because Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, they weren't around for any of those years that were, you know, quote, underachieving in the past. The five and seven, you're kind of being excluded because that's year one. You're trying to get it off the ground. But, like, the way that they were built this year, and I think the way they trended going into this year, we felt really good about them. And that ended up being the case. The culture that they showed at multiple points during that eight and four season, I thought was enough of a glimmer of hope to get excited about and give some good, you know, projections towards. And that ended up being the case again with them. In fact, winning the Big 12 Conference, their only loss being against Oklahoma. And what we said about their culture in the preseason, they bounced back in a big way after that Oklahoma loss, won the rest of their games, including the Big 12 title game. And uh, yeah, we, we feel good about how we projected Texas this year. And we'll say this too. Uh, I think they're built to last. I don't think this is just a, a flash in the pan kind of year. Steve Sarkeesian is acquiring great talent, of course. They're building that roster the right way, of course. But the culture, the culture, the culture. It was a buzzword for a long time in a negative way against Texas. I think it's a positive buzzword now going forward in the Sark era uh, for the good folks in the 40 acres. So we think we hit when it comes to Texas. Now, our, uh, our last two miss and hits to talk about are about the same team. A lot of y'all let me know about our predictions on Michigan in the postseason. And we missed on Michigan. I had a couple of y'all actually in NRG Stadium. Some of y'all in the front row say, hey, you picked Washington. And God bless you. We appreciate y'all watching the show. But you're absolutely right. We picked Washington. And before that, y'all, this is embarrassing. We picked Alabama. And to be real, we just got enamored with the flashy things in college football. We thought the matchups for Alabama and their potent offense was going to be able to put Michigan into a, a tricky spot. That wasn't the case. We thought Washington was going to be able to vertically challenge that secondary for Michigan. If they forced them into that, you know, deficit of 10 points or more, they wouldn't be able to, to overcome that. We never even got to that situation. Overall, we talked ourselves too much into the what ifs of what Michigan might not have or, or didn't have and all that. It never mattered because of the way they're built, because of their roster, because of, quite frankly, what they had under the hood and the way they responded in those different spots, the way they excelled in the Rose Bowl, they excelled in the stage that was the national title game. We missed on Michigan in the postseason. That is a miss for us. We own that. Hey, end up, that's on us. Michigan, your national champs today. Now, one thing I do want to say, though, as much as we missed on Michigan in the postseason, there were a lot of folks in the comment section that said, J.D., you picked against Michigan in every big game this season. Uh, I would I would disagree with that. We have the receipts to show that. We thought Michigan was going to go undefeated and win the Big Ten. We picked Michigan against Penn State. We picked Michigan against Ohio State. We picked Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. We picked Michigan in every single game. You can go check our TikTok predictions, and we had them going undefeated at the beginning of this season, way back in like July or August. So we always loved the way they were built. We always felt like the roster itself was good enough to run the table, at least in the regular season. And we always felt like J.J. McCarthy was set to take that next step as a quarterback, throwing the football downfield. And probably even more importantly, the unfinished business that this team had, obviously we missed on the postseason, but we felt pretty strongly about how they would fare in the regular season. And so I have to say, when it comes to the regular season, what Michigan handled, that that, that was a hit for us. And so we'll uh, we'll make sure we have that known as it pertains to the good folks in the maize and blue. So that's volume one. Again, how y'all respond to this will dictate if we do this in the future, but I thought it was an appropriate exercise 
as the confetti is now being cleaned up as we speak at Energy Stadium, for us to kind of get together and have a conversation about where we hit and where we missed this past season in college football. And y'all, what a season it was. I mean, we had conference realignment before the season even started. Uh, you had the Pac-12 throw a party before they turned the lights out on the conference. You had Michigan obviously win the national championship and do it in dominant fashion. You had Jaden Daniels win the Heisman Trophy and, and elevate his play. It felt like 3X from what he was the season before. It has been a phenomenal season, and we appreciate y'all so much for being a part of it and for allowing us to do stuff like this, to be on the road in Houston, Texas, to be able to speak into a microphone while we're in the media lounge. People are having breakfast or lunch, whatever it is right now behind us. We appreciate y'all. And the, the place that y'all have allowed us to take this show to, we are enormously grateful for. And I don't say that to kind of give us like our, our own kind of pat on the back, but truly the, the community that y'all have allowed us to, to develop here on this show, on this platform, on the On3 YouTube channel, on this show, The Hard Count, whenever we go out on the road and we see y'all and y'all say, you watch the show and, and you listen at work or you listen at school like that, that means more than y'all know to us that operate this whole thing. And myself and Trey Anity and Nick Break, everyone that's part of this show, um, enormously, enormously grateful for y'all and cannot thank you enough for the tremendous season that this was. So make sure you subscribe because this show does not stop. Got a lot to talk about here in the near future. Uh, before we get out of here though, got to make sure I tell y'all about our friends at Axia Time and they are phenomenal in every single sense. Y'all can see right here, they, they hooked us up with a college football playoff 2024 watch. This is not me doing the Shadur. I'm just trying to show y'all the watch they hooked us up with. So as I announced last week, we have an exciting new sponsor, Axia Time. Axia Time is probably the best kept secret in college football. Axia Time is the only watch company licensed with the college football playoff, and they created heirloom quality, ultra custom timepieces for all the teams that are a part of the 2024 college football playoff. And today, I am stoked to reveal their national champions design for Michigan. The quality design and attention to detail is unreal. The repeating pattern on the dial has the Michigan logo, and the inner part of the dial has the team colors and the, and, uh, the maize and blue, along with a second hand. If you're a watch person, you will check out the specs and quickly realize these watches are a great deal for the level of quality and detail you're getting. If you don't know a lot about Swiss-made mechanical watches, you might think they're expensive, but trust me, you do your homework. They are a phenomenal deal. You can check out their designs at axiatime.com. That is axiatime.com. And for our listeners, for all of that watch, use code JD100. Get yourself $100 off any full-priced watch. So check them out at axia, axiatime.com. Axiatime watches that tell so much more than just time. So we appreciate them and appreciate them getting us right for this playoff run and appreciate them getting y'all right, whether you're a fan of a team that made the college football playoff, whether you're a Michigan fan rocking the national championship watch today for your maize and blue, go check them out. They do a phenomenal job, and we appreciate them taking care of us. Appreciate them taking care of y'all people at the program and uh, sending us out of this thing in style. So, again, for all of us here in Houston, for everyone back in Nashville, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all so much. We are going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.